Let's turn to Mark 14. Thanks to the band this morning. Appreciate y'all. They've been here a long time today. Mark 14. As we continue our way through the book of Mark, um, we're going to start in verse 12. Let's read together and be one of those times where I read a little bit and talk a little bit, one of those kind of things. So in verse 12 says, on, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. So, um, it's Thursday of, of, uh, Holy Week and, uh, it's time for the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which are two separate things that are really celebrated together because they really are, find their point of origin in the same thing in the Exodus story. And it's interesting that Jesus kind of has some like clandestine, like kind of vibe going on here, right? Like he's like, Go find this man carrying water and tell him this secret code word and he'll bring you to this secret room and, and all that. And the reason why he's like having to sneak around a little bit is because Jesus is a marked man at this point. The religious leaders, the political leaders have decided that they want to trap him and have him killed. And, uh, so he's just, he's got a target on him. And to be in Jerusalem at that time was very risky. And, uh, because at the Passover, all males had to eat the Passover meal inside the city walls of Jerusalem. And so um, it was just too risky for him. And this meal to share with him was far too important to be interrupted by any of that stuff. So Jesus wanted to, uh, he probably wanted to have uh, just this uninterrupted time. So he needed to kind of make some arrangements for that to happen. And so uh, verse 17 says, when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of, uh, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is, is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who's dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man, uh, for the Son of Man goes, it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Okay. Now, we're going to come back to the Judas betrayal, uh, you know, thread, uh, in a couple of weeks. So if you're like, man, I can't wait to talk about this part, you're just going to have to come back. Uh, we're going to kind of skip over that to get to, um, to get to the Last Supper part of, of the passage. But um, before we do that, there's a detail in there. It, it's, it says uh, in verse 18 that they were reclining at table. And after you know studying uh, this week and just studying Jewish culture over the last several years, 
Um, to recline at table was, uh, that says more than just, you know, they got around the table. So, um, we think of a dining room table and, you know, chairs. Well, take the chairs out and lower the table like to the floor, more like a coffee table or maybe even lower than a coffee table. Big coffee table type thing. And, uh, they would, they would pull like pillows or different things up kind of close to the table and they would lean, lay on, they'd sit on the ground, lean forward toward the table and their legs would be kicked back behind them. And so they were reclining, like kind of laying on their sides a little bit, um, which seems very uncomfortable to us, but this was, this was their custom. This is how they, they ate at the time. So they still eat in certain parts of the near, of, of that part of the world. Um, and this was a couple of hours worth of meal. And so it's actually more relaxing and more comfortable and more casual. Um, but the thing about being able to recline at the table is this. Um, if uh, only the free got to do that. If you were a servant in any way, you were not at the table, first of all. You were standing on the perimeter of the room uh, ready to come and bring water or more wine or more food or whatever that, that they may need. Um, so if you were... A servant, you weren't allowed to recline at the table. But for this meal, the disciples and Jesus are reclining at the table. And that's because this meal is not just a normal meal. This is the Passover meal. And the Passover is all about freedom. And so even how they positioned themselves in the room uh, conveyed a message that said, we are the free people of God. In order to understand the Last Supper setting in a few, that we'll get to in a few minutes, we really have to understand the Passover. And so, uh, let's hit, kind of like hit pause on that and jump back in your mind all the way into the beginning parts of the Old Testament, okay? Um, Abraham, in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham that he would, uh, give him many, many descendants and that through this lineage, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so that sets forth um, kids and generations that are coming. And it got to the point where um, there was like a million Hebrews that uh, Egypt looked at them and saw free labor and so uh, enslaved them. So you got a million of Abraham's descendants in Egypt enslaved to Pharaoh, uh, building bricks for his city and buildings and pyramids and whatnot. So um, you get to... Exodus, book of Exodus, and God says, okay, um, the promise that I made to Abraham, it's been fulfilled slowly, and now you've been in, enslaved for 400 years. Uh, it's time for you to be free from that bondage. I'm going to bring you into a land that will be your own, and you can start your life officially as, as my people. And so in Exodus chapter 6, God makes some promises. Um, he, he raises up this leader named Moses, and the leader, uh, God talks to the leader and says, here's, here's my promise to the people of Israel. You need to pass this on to them. And you don't need to turn here, but let me read, let me read the, these promises because they're going to come back. Um, Exodus 6, 6 and 7 it says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And here begins four, four of the promises that they hold on to. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Here's the second one. I will deliver you from slavery to them. Three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And here's four, I will take you to be my people. 
I will be your God, and you shall know I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now the they they grabbed onto those pretty pretty intently. Um, that was a promise that God made, and so they said, "Okay, you, you got our attention, but we're enslaved." And so God says, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna tell Pharaoh to let you go." And so Moses goes, tells Pharaoh to let him go. Pharaoh says, "No." And he's like, all right, well, some bad stuff's going to happen. Pharaoh's like, whatever, bring it. And so uh, something bad happens. And Moses goes back, says, will you let him go now? And he says, no. He's like, well, something else is going to happen. And it goes through this repeatedly through, uh, there's ten plagues total. The first nine just don't get his attention. And they're terrible, you know. Um, but God is systematically going through each one of the plagues uh, can be connected to a deity that was worshipped in, in, in Egypt and so God just keep, keeps saying, like, I'm the real God. I'm the real God. Let him, let him go. I'm the real God. Let him go. And Pharaoh's like, no. And so God says, okay, well, it's come to this. Um, the tenth plague is going to be especially painful because um, I'm going to take the life of every firstborn in the land. Pharaoh says, I don't care what you say. I'm not letting him go. So... God makes, uh, he forms a plan that he gives to the Israelites. He says, okay, here's, here's what you need to do. He tells Moses, lays it all out. Moses tells the people, and he says, this, this is the plan. First of all, you need to take a lamb, and you need to get with your family, and you need to cook this lamb, and you need to uh, cook it with some herbs, some bitter herbs. He's very specific, he says, for them to be bitter. Um, and some bread that it doesn't have any leaven in it. We don't, you don't, you don't have time to like let it rise and bake it and all that. It needs to be like flatbread. Uh, you need to eat and you need to eat every single, every single bit of it. And all the leftover bread, you stuff, stuff it in your like backpack. Well, we call them book sacks. I know it's a whole debate. Backpack, book bag. They probably didn't have any of that. So, uh, but pack it in a, in a bag. Um, but you need to fill up because you're going to need, you're going to need to be full for this journey. Second thing you need to do is you need to eat the meal with your shoes on and your belt tied and any sort of bag with bread in it packed so that at a moment's notice you can flee. Third thing you need to do is when you kill the lamb, you need to take the blood of that lamb and you need to smear it on the doorpost of your house because um, that is going to let me know which life to take and which life to spare. This is what he says in Exodus 12, verse 13. The blood, so talking about the blood on the doorpost, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the Hebrews go. They, they sacrifice the lambs. They cook the meal, the lamb and the herbs and the flatbread, and they get full and they eat everything and whatever leftover bread they have, they put it in their bags and they put their shoes on and they got their belts tight and they waited. They put the blood on the doorposts. Spirit of God passes across the land. And wherever he saw the blood, he spared the firstborn. When there wasn't blood, when there was not blood, he took the life of the firstborn including Pharaoh, who lost his own son. That broke the camel's back. He said, take them. So at a moment's notice, they all get up and go. 
We're talking like a million people. Pack up, take off. The only way to go to where God wants them to go, he says, I want you to go right across that big old body of water known as the Red Sea. Moses, like you sure? Yeah. He holds up his staff and the water begins to part. We've all seen Charlton Heston, right? Holding back the waters and the waters part and the ground is dry. The riverbed is, uh, the bed of the sea is dry somehow because God's awesome and they begin to cross it. And it'll take a while for a million people to cross any, anywhere. Um, God holds the water back. They cross, 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 cross. They get across the other side. Pharaoh changes mind. They start chasing them. By, by the, the time the Israelites are on the shore on the other, on the other side, uh, Pharaoh comes in. He's in the riverbed. God brings the waters down, drowns them all, kills the enemy. There they are on the other, other side of all this. Egypt's behind them. Their enemies are dead. All that's, all that's ahead of them is God's land that he's promised them. They got sandals on their feet. They got bread in the bag. They got Moses at the front. And he says, let's go. And this leads on a journey that ultimately comes to Mount Sinai where God gives them the Ten Commandments. And that whole story goes about. The Passover is about that night. That Passover meal, what God told him to do and how God did that whole thing. Um, as he's given them the instructions in Exodus 12, God says, this is not just a one-time thing I want you to think about, though. That's what he tells them in verse 14. Says, this day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. He says, not this, you're going to experience this the first time, but every year I want, you got to find a way to memorialize this. You got to, you can't let this story, um, fade away. You got to teach the kids. You got to train them up. A few verses later, he says this in 26, 27. When your children say to you, um, what do you mean by this service? Meaning like by this memorial service? Um, you shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. So this was to remain a memorial that, that celebrated the power of God, the miracles of God. It also honored the faith and obedience of their ancestors um, and how this marked them as God's free people. This is the beginning of that freedom. They're on the other side of the Red Sea, Egypt behind them, enemies behind them, um, free. And so this meal was to remind them of who they really are. And so they did. They celebrated every year, which means that David would have celebrated this annually. Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Ezekiel, like all the, all the, all the prophets, um, John the Baptist would have, have done this every year. The twelve disciples would have grown up doing this every year. Jesus himself would have grown up celebrating the Passover, uh, of, of God. Um, so what does that mean? Alright. So let's jump back to Mark 14. Jesus and the twelve reclining at table. 
What what would that meal have typically looked like? Well, um, it's not a normal meal, right? Like if it's someone's birthday or or something, you might you might cook their favorite meal or go eat at their favorite restaurant or something like that. And it's not a meal in the way that we think of a meal. It's it's a it's an object lesson. Everything that goes on in the Passover meal that they celebrated from year to year to year was symbolic. And it was meant to convey some things. And it's morphed a little bit over time um, because uh, that's what traditions tend to do. But um, from what all the research that I've done that points back to you in the first century, there would have, there would have been four things on the Passover meal table. Um, four things that uh, that had been passed on all that whole time, looking back at the original story. So there have been four things on the table. Here's what they are. Um, bitter herbs would be one thing. Um, unleavened bread would be the second thing. Um, wine would be the third thing. And a, a lamb would be the fourth thing. Okay? Let me tell you what they kind of what they all mean. So the bitter herbs are because God told them to cook bitter herbs whenever they were uh, back, in, you know, the the night of the Passover. And when you think bitter bitter herbs, I'm not sure what you're thinking, but um, horseradish is the typical thing. And you ever have horseradish where like a little bit, a little bit kind of makes your mouth, like makes you kind of your head burn a little bit, but a lot will make you like regret life, <laughs> you know? Uh, horseradish though, like if you have too much of it, like it, it makes your your head burn, but it makes your eyes water. Like it's a different kind of bitterness, and that's the understanding of what um, of what the how the rabbis would talk about the bitter herbs. Like you want something that's going to evoke tears. Why? Because Egypt was so oppressive to them that the enslavement made them weep, and so it's a way of. Of, of eating something and talking about this and telling the story to the kids of like, yeah, our, our ancestors wept in, in Egypt because of how miserable uh, their enslavement was. That's the bitter herbs. Second thing would be unleavened bread, which you remember from the story. They didn't have time to like let the bread rise and bake it and all that stuff. And so it's to remind them not only that God had them eat unleavened bread, but he had them pack it to bring with them that the first leg of the journey, they survived on that stuff. Like, as, like, we can't, we can't survive on bread. Like, it'd be nice if we could, but we just, we can't. Like, our bodies need more. But God did a miracle of like, hey, eat this pita bread for the first couple of weeks, you know? And so they remember that, that part of the journey that God provided and instructed and he, he like worked that miracle. The third thing, uh, would be that would be wine. And when I talk, when I, like, this, this kind of wine, like New Testament, Old Testament wine, uh, our modern day wine is 20 times more potent in terms of alcohol content. Okay. So we're not talking about like wine the way that we tend to think of wine. It was really just, they fermented it just enough to, to try to kill any of the weird bacteria and stuff because they don't, ha- didn't have the filtration systems that we have now, obviously. And so, um, if, but, but they would drink four cups of wine over the course of this long meal. One for each of those promises from Exodus six that I read a few minutes ago. Um, and so the wine represents the promises that God made to him. And the last thing uh, is the lamb, which he had them cook and eat so that they could be full and, and, and have the physical energy to, to keep going, uh, but also to put the door, the blood on the doorposts. So you have those, those, those four things, the, the herbs, the bread, the wine, the lamb. Um, 
and that composed what was on, on the table. And then you would, uh, there was like a rhythm to the, to the thing, to the, to the meal. You wouldn't just like pass everything around, everyone eat everything and trust that they remember it. You would go one thing at a time and you would read scriptures or you would tell stories or you would recall, recall something about the herbs, recall something about the bread, recall something about the lamb, recall something about the promises of God to the point where they even, they eventually wrote like a kind of a script. And so you would follow the script and you would read certain passages and then you would do something or you would, you, you would eat something and then you would pray something or you would sing something. And it kind of became like a family worship service that you would have. But the whole point of it was as adults, you are worshiping God. You're, you're thanking him for what he has done. You're honoring the obedience and faith of your ancestors. Uh, you are teaching the, the kids because the kids had a role in the script. Like the kids would ask questions about the herbs or about the bread. And then the adults would answer it. And so it kind of created this like little, like mini, mini play kind of thing. Um, but the whole point of it was, was to teach the kids and to train the kids. And so to think of these disciples and Jesus having grown up in this tradition, um, they would know, they would know exactly what the bread means, exactly what the wine means, exactly what the lamb was for, exactly what, what all these, these things meant. And this like symbolic reenactment that happened over and over again was this, was this sacred meal. It was this incredible part of their heritage where they're, they're thanking God and they're honoring uh, all that God has done. And in the middle, well, middle part of the Old Testament, when God begins talking more aggressively about the Messiah to come, they, they're entered in this new, this new idea where they were not only thinking about the first Exodus, but they're saying, no, God, God's going to do that again. He's going to do another exodus. That we are we are in bondage. That God's going to send a, a new Moses. That that they called the Messiah, the Anointed One. He's gonna He's gonna send this new Moses, and He's gonna lead us out of our out of Egypt, out of our figurative Egypt, um, with this new Messiah at the front into this new era, this this whole new life together. That there's this beautiful future ahead of them. And so it became a way, kind of like we do at Advent, where they looked back at what happened, but they also looked forward to what was going to happen. And so Passover had this, had this like depth to it. It, it had this, this incredible identity marker to it. Um, that as, as it was celebrated over the years, you think about them doing this while they're in Babylonian captivity and they're still doing this. Here they are in Roman occupation and they're still doing this. And it, it's a way to say, say this, this is incredibly important to say, uh, it doesn't matter what's going on in our world. This is who we are. We are the free people of God. That even in times when they were under, uh, under different government oppressions, it didn't matter what flag was flying over the land. This, this is who we are. We're God's free people who recline at the table. And we eat the herbs and the bread and we drink the wine and the lamb and we tell our kids about it and we are reminded of who who we are. This was a deep, deep, deep moment. And so with all of that in mind, like that's the mindset. And they go into the upper room and there on the table would have been those four things. So let's look at how Jesus celebrates that meal with his disciples. Verse 22. As they were eating, he took bread And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, 
This is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Now, if everything I just told you is true, the disciples probably would have been really confused with what they watched, right? Like, they would have known what the bread is for. It's about the unleavened bread that our forefathers ate and took with. He said it's for his body. It's his body? We we know that the cups are the promises of God, and but he said it's his blood? The 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 way to summarize what was probably going through their heads is like, man, Jesus did he did that wrong. He, how did Jesus mess up the Passover meal? It wouldn't have made a lot of sense to him in the moment. Now, granted, in a couple of days, it probably make a lot more sense. But what Jesus does in that moment with that meal is he redefines it. And he changes the trajectory of the future, which is one of his favorite things to do, right? Like that that's one of his favorite things to do is to say, yeah, you think your life's headed this way, but I got a better I got a better plan. He changes the trajectory of their history and while affirming and, and in a sense enriching their past. So in terms of the past, it's almost like he's saying, yeah, like you're, the Hebrews, they, they needed to be freed. They needed the rescue. They needed an earthly leader. They needed all those things to happen. They needed to walk across the Red Sea. They needed to, to watch God do those miracles. They needed to get to the other side and then have to trust him for food and for water and for leadership. They, they had to do all, all of those things. And all those things are really, really important acts of faith. And every single year that the, that God's free people have gotten together and remembered that and celebrated that and, and honored God and honored them, it's been important every single time. But everything's about to change. Everything is about to change. You think about, think about, it's almost like Jesus, it's like he's been telling them over and over and over again this, the same kinds of message. And, and each time it's, it's like it hits a, a new depth with them or maybe hits home a little bit closer. Because he's, he's already been telling them, um, you don't need any more prophets. No more priests, no more kings. The temple won't be here anymore. You won't even need to kill any more lambs. Everything, everything is different. It's like he, in a symbolic way, is saying, you know how you've been waiting for the new Moses? I'm the new Moses. You know how you've been waiting for the new Exodus? This is the new Exodus. You know how the Passover happened? The Passover is happening right now. Like this this new journey ahead of you, it, it's time. Moses is here. Everything is going to be different from this point forward. But the pathway going forward is not going to be like the pathway was for them. 
See, the pathway for the Israelites was once they got to the other side, it, there was a lot of war, a lot of violence, a lot of um, just a lot of bad, just a lot of bad stuff. And they have assumed that the, their pathway forward under this new Moses was going to involve the same thing, was going to be a war with Rome. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to lead you to fight Rome because Rome's not really your enemy. That's not your real enemy. Your real enemy is within. It's, it's, it's sin and death that is inside of you, that has broken you holistically. That's the, that's the real problem. And so I'm not going to lead you into war with Rome. I'm going to lead you down this other path where I'm going to do the battle and the way to this new promised land is by grace through faith in me. The pathway isn't about all these other things. It's about the body and the blood, about the sacrifice. It's about the love of God expressed in Jesus laying his life down. As you guys have been headed this direction, it's not that direct. It, it's this. And so I'm going to change your Passover meal. Not because what happened in the past is wrong, but because what you were thinking where it was headed, it's just not headed that direction. So here's your new, here's your new meal. Here's your new meal to celebrate. Here's your new meal to use to symbolically teach the next generation. Here's a new meal that reminds you who you really are. You're the free people of God. No matter what is happening, you are the free people of God. Recline at the table, eat the bread, drink the wine, tell the stories. Remember who I am and remember who you are. The ancient Near East, whenever whenever someone had you over for dinner, it was uh, very, very, very rare, and it was meant to communicate something to you that when you because when you share a meal, the host is inviting you into their life. Then I, I want you to be a part of me. I don't want to just like do a nice thing for you. A meal like this, like you don't share the Passover meal with just anybody. You. You only share this kind of identity marker meal with people that you want to be a part of your identity. And so when Jesus is saying, take this, eat this, drink this, he's identified himself with the meal in such a way that, that it's identifying, it's like by participating in that, uh, we are a part of him. We're connecting those dots into him. It's a part, it's one more way of reminding us that we are his family. So that group identity that we come away with, this, this idea that like, yeah, we're, we're individuals, but we're, we're, first we're part of a family. Like our individual identity is found in the group identity. It's very much both in the Lord's Supper. Reminds us of that, this new Passover behind the new Moses. And this was such an intimate thing for Jesus, such an important thing for Jesus that, that he makes a, like he, and so Lent starts in a few weeks and we're talking about fasting. Jesus basically says, I'm going to fast from something 
until a certain point. This is what he says. Look at the next, the next verse, 25. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He says, I'm going to fast from this. So Jesus is, has declared a fast. And said, I'm, I'm not going to participate in this part of the meal until I can do it with my family. Right? It gives him something to long for, as if he doesn't already have a list. Man, I can't, can't wait to celebrate that with you guys. At that reunion. So the last verse says that they sang a hymn and they went to the Mount of Olives. Now, what we don't really know what they sang, but typically, if you read Psalm 113 to 118, it's a group of psalms that are used for during the Passover meal. And they probably sang either one or all of them, which would have made 100% sense in a normal Passover setting. It probably they were probably just kind of down phoning it in. You know, they probably were not really understanding what was going on because this would have been a mind blowing thing for them. But this transitions them toward Gethsemane, where Jesus goes and he prays, and we'll look at that later. But that gives us the kind of the story beneath the story of the Lord's Supper. It it puts us in, in a context, and to, to, for me to think about it in the context of the Exodus story and the new Exodus story that Jesus reroutes, and the pathway goes through his body and blood. That that's incredible. And the thing is, like, so so Jesus hands to Paul. Um, we read in First Corinthians eleven this this instruction of like, okay, here's the, here here are the instructions for the new Passover meal. And that is what we know as the Lord's Supper or communion. And so, just like the Hebrews, we have been repeating this meal. We're repeating this meal, and every time, hopefully, worshiping God and honoring honoring uh, the Lord and what He has done, and also teaching the kids. Like that's a, that's part of what we're supposed to be doing. But what that does is that that brings us into the story in a way that I think is a part of our takeaway. Here's this. Here's my landing point: is that we are we're. A, we're on the new Exodus journey right now. Easter weekend, that was like the Passover equivalent. And Jesus has led us outward. Because we were in our own bondage, right? We're, we're in our own bondage to sin and death, and uh, there's nothing that we could do about it. And so, um, much like the first time, God sends a Moses who goes to the Pharaoh, to the enemy, and says, let them go. And he says, no. And he says, well, uh, instead of ten plagues, I'm just going to do one thing. I'm just going to die. And uh, that's going to free all of them and put an end to you uh, forever. And so we, we too, are on our own ex- exodus journey. That the, the new Moses, has he shows up and he brings a plan to lead us into freedom and um this time it isn't about all those other kinds of things. It's just faith by grace through faith. He takes care of the rest and he took his blood and put it on the doorposts of our life, guaranteeing that the judgment of God will pass over us and we will live. And so we have left Egypt behind. 
right? Like we have left sin and death behind us. He has freed us from that. And we are on a journey. And if I could just run, run with the illustration a little bit and take some liberty where Egypt is behind us, like sin and death are behind us. The promised land is ahead of us. We, we're on the same page about that, right? Like there, there is a future that he has guaranteed for us that it's being held and kept by his promises for us. So we're in between Egypt, okay, sin and death, Pharaoh back there, whatever, uh, fill in any sort of allegorical gaps that you want to. That's behind us. Promised land's ahead of us. We're just crossing the Red Sea. That's what life in Christ is at this point. We're crossing the Red Sea, believing he has freed us, knowing that there's greater freedom ahead of us, and that he is holding back the walls of water as we cross on the dry land. He's holding back the things that could destroy us. Because what are you going to do to the free people of God? Nothing. And you say, well, what about, what about cancer? What about coronavirus? What about this and this and this? I, hey, I didn't say it couldn't, uh, couldn't like hurt you. But it can't get to you, the real you. He's holding all that stuff back and saying, you just keep crossing. You just keep going. And whatever the, whatever it is that you face, no matter how bad it is, you just need to know that that land ahead of you is there. It's yours. I've made sure it's yours. And it may seem like the waters are crashing down, but they're not. And even if it comes down to your own death, guess what? That just transports you to the other side faster. And those walls are going to be held back. And no matter what, no matter what is going on, it doesn't matter what flag is flying over the land where you live. It doesn't matter what's happening politically. It doesn't matter what's happening with wars or the economy or there's all these kinds of things. The water is not coming down on you. You just keep going. Moses is at the front. Not only is he at the front, he's already gone through it all the way to the other side. And he's on the other side being like, it's safe. Come on. Keep going. It's great. You're going to love it. And we're not walking alone. We're not walking with a big mass of strangers either. He's like, hey, I'm going to group you up by churches and let you journey through this with one another. So that as those, those threatening times come, there's people reminding you, hey, the wall, look, the water's not moving. He's holding it back. He's just back there. Jesus is up there. Holy Spirit's right here. We're all around you. You're fine. Keep going. And at some point, if Revelation is true, the last few folks are going to cross over and get onto that shore. Jesus is going to yell to the enemy, you think you can make it across? Come on. And he's not real smart. And he's going to come on. And he's going to, the water's going to come down. He's going to drown him forever. It'll be done. Just like Pharaoh. Just like Rome. Just like whatever. And then there will be the new people of God, completely free, enemies, enemy drowned, New Earth, like let's let's roll, like let's let's do this, and we'll just have an eternity to do whatever you do on the New Earth. I don't know who even knows. Like, but we have to see the connection there. This is the new Exodus. Jesus is the new Moses. He freed us. He's gone ahead of us. He's empowering us to make it through and to do it together. So in our community groups this week, you know what we're going to do? We're going to, in the spirit of this Passover idea, um, we're going to just tell the stories about 
our experiences in this Exodus event. And so if you're in a community group and your group leader sends you an email with some details in it, you should read it this time. Uh, you should definitely, sorry, you should make sure to read it. Because um, it's going to prepare you for what group is going to be. And we're not going to, you're not going to show up and there's going to be like a lamb laying on the table or anything like that, but we're just going to do what they did, which is tell the stories of God's faithfulness. And different groups are going to do different things, but maybe even communion could be a part of that this week for your group because you're not journeying by yourself. That your Exodus story, it's your Exodus story, but it's also our Exodus story. That's part of what I love about, about gathering together. It's just this reminder of like, and I, I can venture off on my own and be so lonely sometimes. And then I show up here, or I show up in community group, or I show up and get coffee with someone, or I show up at work and wherever it may be. I'm like, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's us. It's not me. It's us. And so he's led us from death to life. It's a beautiful story, right? Like it's, it's our beautiful story. And so Jesus is inviting us into it. And if if you've never said yes to Jesus offering you that pathway, you, you don't have to leave here today wondering if you're a part of this new exodus or not. And, and that's, that's really a conversation between you and the Lord. But after you have it between you and the Lord, you need to talk to someone else who's already had it. Because we want to like welcome you into it. And so... Don't, I'll be around. Don't leave here today without talking to someone if you're unsure. But if you're sure and you're like, I'm, I'm a part of the new Exodus, then let, let that identity marker like rest upon you. That you're a part of the new Passover. You're on a journey toward the new promised land. We're doing it together. So it says that after this, they sang a little bit, so guess what we're going to do? We're going to sing a little bit. And as we sing, maybe some of this imagery and some of this, this, uh, all this will come together for us as we worship. So let's stand together as our musicians come back. Let me pray for us. Lord, what a, what a gift, uh, all, all of this is to us. Just the richness of their experience together in the upper room and how you took their expectations and, uh, you did, it's not really that you shattered them. It's that you, um, you enhanced them. You fulfilled them. You, you redirected them into something that is far more beautiful and far more, um, far more free than what they were thinking. And I feel like I feel the same way for us so much of the time that we're far more free than we feel. We're far more free than we act. We're far more free than we think. And although we're not going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning together, I pray God that that spirit would still be among us. You know that 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 unity that comes from having brothers and sisters in the same room with us from having brothers and sisters watching online and the way that you're able to use technology to connect us into that room. Just that reminder that we're not alone as we we have left Egypt and we're headed towards something permanently beautiful. And right now it, it can be intimidating. 
Life between those walls of water can bring a lot of things at us. Let us be reminded that sin and death are behind us. Jesus with us. Gone ahead and paved the way. Help us to rest in that and to relax into that and celebrate that together.